0: It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together, we hear how they're making their world better. Welcome to the show today. You know, most often on the show, we feature leaders in the nonprofit sector, whether it be executive directors or CEOs of nonprofits, authors, and researchers. It's been rare for me to have a guest in the show who's coming from the donor side of things. Well, today we're gonna to change that up. Today we have two people who represent a foundation, and I'm excited to have them on the show for many reasons, but mainly because they will share some important insights as to how they've invested their time and money in order to really make an impact in New York through a $2.6 billion project. Yeah, that's billion with a B. Joining me on the show today is Nancy Rauch Duzinas. She's the president of the Rausch Foundation, and Dave Capel, who's a consultant to the foundation. The Rash Foundation is a Long Island-based family foundation that invests in ideas and organizations in order to bring about systemic change in our communities. Now, they're going to focus their comments about how they've been able to successfully collaborate with both the government sector and the private sector and bring about a huge transportation project in New York City. Enjoy today's show. Well, joining me on the show today is Nancy Roush-Duzinas, president of the Rausch Foundation, and Dave Capel, who's a consultant to the foundation. Well, Nancy and Dave, it's great to have you on the show today. Uh, Tell us a little bit about this foundation. As I was talking to you earlier, we don't have a lot of foundations on the show, but I like it when we do because it gives us a different perspective uh, when it comes to the nonprofit world and the good that you're doing there in New York. Um, So talk a bit about um, your perspective, first of all, as the investor, the foundation, when it comes to your philanthropy. And start off by just giving us an overview of your foundation. I know you have a lot of layers to it. How did it get started, and what's your specific focus?
1: Sure. Um, well, the, the foundation was founded actually in 1961 uh, by my father and my uncle, and it was based on the success of um, Ideal Corporation, which was a manufacturer in Brooklyn. But basically, it remained an unstaffed foundation until 1991, when uh, we hired staff and became an operating foundation, and I became the president. And initially, we started off uh, granting on Long Island uh, and in Maryland. Long Island, we did early education work and the environment, and um in Maryland, strictly the environment. But what happened, by the late 90s, uh, we had made a lot of good grants to worthy uh, uh, organizations, but nothing really could be replicated or grow. And this was, we learned, was because of the regions, Long Island's uh, systemic problem of local home rule, which includes 125 school districts, a total of 665 governmental uh, service providers, and this fragmentation really stumped us and was a huge challenge, and we were almost about to give up granting on Long Island because it just didn't seem to make a difference. And then what we did was um, we looked around at other regions that were doing things much better, uh places like Silicon Valley, Chicago, uh, Boston, Louisville, Kentucky. And one thing that we noticed is uh, people often did an indicators report, an index. And it wasn't always foundations were involved, but business organization could fund it as well. But regions would have an index that looked at the overall region. It's economy, environment, education, health. And we thought it was a good idea, and it might be something that uh, would fit in and really serve the Long Island region. So what we did was we – Created an advisory committee, well, the first thing we did actually was go on a trip a learning trip to a number of these successful regions and we invited people from other sectors in to join us foundation the community foundation joined us, and we went there to learn what they were doing and that 's how the idea too of the indicators project arose and what we the index is actually um, an annual indicators report of the health of the region. We had an advisory committee that was came from, um, represented all sectors, business, labor, environmentalist, education, about 25 people. And the um, every year, and this is for the past 15 years, we published this indicators report, along with a special analysis about a particular topic, um, it was housing, sometimes it was the environment, it was innovative economy. It was transportation th- two times. Uh, I have to say that this, the indi- publishing the indicators in this index, uh, even after the first one, it raised our visibility, but our credibility and our reputation in a major way. And we became a, a player you know, who provided very useful information for nonprofits and even the local governments because it told a unified story about the region. I think that uh, foundations have, and it was Paul Ilvesack, or sort of the famous um, foundation executive and the professor who said, foundations have the power of speaking truth to power.
0: One of your greatest strengths as a foundation is that you're able to provide solid research and data uh, to both governments and nonprofits in order for them to make more informed decisions, you know, both regionally and otherwise. So tell us about your process of research and data collection and why is it so important to you as a foundation?
1: Oh, Number one, it was so important because there was there did not exist good information about Long Island. It was always mixed in with the metropolitan area, so New York City and suburbs, it was, or New York State, there had never been a real look at these two counties uh, by themselves. So, um, and what the project actually involved was the, you know, we would do um, annual indicators, as I said, uh, education, health, government, uh, environment, and we would follow them every year and sort of track them better worse but you would also see the interrelationship of the various um components and um the what we would do then too was compare ourselves sometimes to, to other uh, other places we always compared ourselves to new jersey and westchester with who were our neighbors, but we also, we had one special analysis, and we compared ourselves to Fairfax and Loudoun counties in Maryland, uh, and looked at how, we here we are, a home rule um, area and state, whereas there you had a different system where the counties really governed. And so what we tried to do every year, we produ- produced the um, indicators, and we would have a special analysis. And, um the special analysis was a much deeper dive into a particular area. uh We had a designated editor and manager of the project, the index uh she really over the years it was two she's <laughs> the, the last uh person we had Ann Gallop came from the private sector, and she brought great skills to bear. In managing uh, outside research contractors who were mainly from universities, but um, also research institutes or consulting firms, and we had an advisory committee of about 25 people from all different sectors, you know business, nonprofits, uh, education, uh, no — well you have a question later about government. There were no active politicians involved at that point. Uh, and we also had a kitchen cabinet that was about seven people, three of whom were from the Foundation and the others from various sectors. Um, and every year we would release the indicators report with a special analysis
0: Hey everybody, Rob here. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Show. If this is your first time listening to us, I wanted to make sure you were aware of a whole group of other interviews with fascinating guests that I've previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org, and there you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country, even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I think you'll really enjoy those interviews. We wanna give you more content, and we'd like to get that information to you. And all you have to do is give us your email. When you go to that website, you can put your email address in that first box you'll see on the front page, and you'll be added to our monthly email update. In addition to some great content, you will see the latest uh, podcast shows that will be actually sent right to your inbox, and that way you'll never miss any of the great content on this show. The other thing I'll mention to you is if you have questions or comments or you'd like to be on the show, do not hesitate to email me. I'd love to hear from you. you just do that through our website, my email, rob at ccofpc.org. Well, thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. We value our partners who make our world better and make giving a whole lot easier, like our partner Karma Payments. Karma Payments could help increase donations to your nonprofit by as high as 600%. Maximize financial gifts with the power of instant karma, a new cashless giving device. They accept mobile pay and all major cards anytime, anytime. Anywhere, Donors simply select their generous amount and tap, dip, or swipe for instant philanthropy. Securely manage contributions with top-notch technology, low-cost rates, and all-inclusive payment solutions. Instant Karma is handheld-sized, portable, weatherproof, and may be purchased, leased monthly, or rented for a one-time event. So support your costs, boost giving, and create meaningful donor experiences this new decade. Learn how at karmapayments.com. Okay, one of your hallmark achievements to date has been your direct work with the Long Island Railroad. Uh, This railroad has been dubbed America's Busiest Commuter Railroad. For those who use this route of transportation, as I understand it, the reverse commute is absolutely critical. So talk about why you first got involved with this project, and then give us a few highlights of what has been done so far.
2: So, uh, as Nancy mentioned earlier, uh, no one was looking at Long Island as a region. Uh, and it was in that spirit that the index was born. Uh, and interestingly enough, the first study ended up being perhaps the most important in terms of guiding the future of the index, and it revealed what we call the brain drain, which was a mass exodus of people in the age range between 18 and 34, 34 years old of uh, leaving Long Island to live in other regions uh, and spelled, you know, spelled, uh, bad times for Long Island in the future in terms of not having young people to power the economy and social life. Uh, Following that, the index also looked at education, uh, downtown redevelopment and housing, economic development, uh, underutilized land around rail stations that were uh, wasted on surface parking. Uh, We looked at at, uh, examples of how structured parking could be used to provide to uh, promote redevelopment of those surface parking lots, and then very importantly, the index undertook a mapping project that showed uh, uh, many of the research findings uh, in, a, in a manner that people could readily access not only regular or ordinary people but also government but most importantly, from our standpoint is that the trains can only run in one direction during peak hours the, the demand on the capacity is so great. That they can't run, run trains in the reverse direction, which the foundation believes is critical for economic development. Because today, young people want to live in the city. They'll, they'll come. To, you know, they'll commute to work on Long Island, but not if they have to drive. Young people don't want to drive today. If they can't get there by public transportation, they're not, they're not going. And without a reverse commute to allow kids that want to live in the in the city to get to jobs on Long Island our economy would continue to
0: stagnate it's such a significant project and there's a lot of details and as you were saying that there is a, there's a lot of layers to it but obviously the the impact you have on a lo- i mean millions of people in new york city is is unbel- it's hard to understate i mean it's a big big impact and i think that's what's fun about what you're doing at your foundation is you're truly making a difference that literally impacts millions of lives. You developed the case study breaking through as part of your work for the LIRR expansion project, Third Track Project. In it, you give the historical context and tensions involved with this project, right? Now, what were some of your most important findings that helped propel this 2.6 billion project forward? And again, for my listeners, I want to just let you know, this is a huge project, $2.6 billion project, and this is a large scale project. So talk a bit about that.
2: Well, again, the the, uh, the project had died a, a a painful death when it was first rolled out in 2006, uh, and when we took it on, it was it was be- basically considered dead and buried. As a matter of fact, it it gained the moniker the third rail of Long Island politics. If you're a public official and you touch it, you die. That was that was the ad, the prevailing attitude towards the project. It was in that context. That the index and the foundation decided to take it on, and I think it was our capacity as an honest broker, without a, without a direct uh, you know dog in the fight, if you will, uh, they gave us the unusual ability to resurrect the project in the public debate. Uh, critical to that process was the fact that by 2013 we had a very well established and mature advisory committee that we were able to draw on to help reach out into the broader community. And following the release of the report, uh, we decided to form a small task force comprised in part of members of the advisory committee and some others that were recruited to see if we couldn't resurrect interest in the project. Uh, and that committee met for two years, uh, actually closer to three years, and we made substantial progress uh, in terms of elevating the, the uh, appreciation for the project in the private sector, but we made no progress whatsoever with the uh, uh, Long Island uh, elected officials that had effective veto power over the funding that would be needed to build it. It was in that context that we were able to successfully uh, pitch the project to Governor Cuomo and share with him our, our research that uh, that showed what the return on investment would be. And to his credit, he decided to take the project on. Lastly, the governor used a design-build approach to the contracting which provided uh, significant flexibility to respond to these local concerns and also to accelerate the, the pace of the project, which is critical. Because if this, something like this drags out, it ultimately it becomes the subject of uh, possible decay. I think perhaps the most important lesson we learned was the value of cross-sector collaboration. You, with, uh, in a place like Long Island, it's so severely fragmented, as Nancy mentioned earlier, 665. Separate political jurisdictions within the island. You need to you need to find some way to bridge that. And the uh, the the coalition and the the foundation's effort was successful in informally addressing what had been a a really profound obstacle in the form of fragmentation. Uh, So that was one of the critical lessons we learned.
0: All right. Question number five. One of the themes on the show, as we've talked about a lot, is the intersection between the nonprofit sector and the government sector. Uh, This can be a difficult marriage, if you will, right? I mean, sometimes it's difficult for the two sectors to get together and and actually work to produce uh, a good result. How do you as a foundation successfully navigate through these challenges to bring about such a positive outcome? Because it's obvious that this is a huge project. You've done this successfully so far. Uh, Talk about the secret to your success.
1: Well, it's it's sort of it's, – it's an interesting um, question. There really never was a marriage in the beginning for, you know, for the 15 years of the index. And it was – we very uh consciously copied Silicon Valley and their indicators project, and we did not put any current politicians or people campaigning for office on the advisory committee or really involved with the index. We did – have former politicians including a former county executive uh and we certainly did visit and in, and inform our our local politicians we gave them briefings but they were they were really separate it was not until the government the governor got involved uh that there was a there was a real working together and that worked for us so uh you know, I think there was respect, but we have to keep the you know, the active politicians out of the actual uh, process of undertaking the um, research and special analyses because that gave it an independence and the credibility that was needed.
0: We've had nonprofits on the show before and foundations, and if they were seeking to build a collaborative bridge between nonprofits and the government, as well as the business community for that matter in order to tackle a major project like you did with this project, what advice would you give them? Say they're starting today, there's this massive issue, could be transportation, could be related to the environment, could be to affordable housing. What would you recommend them do? What would be the advice to, now looking back over your success, what would be the steps they ought to take?
1: Well, number one, this is a long-term project. It requires patience. I think we noticed right after the first index release, there was great interest, but we never really would have, never had the power to do what we ended up doing with the governor in the third track if we hadn't been in it for, we were in it for 15 years. What I have to say, though, I think the area of doing independent research and convening a cross-sector group is a sweet spot for foundations and it can make a substantial contribution in providing good information and uniting a region. Uh, For Long Island, a fractured place that we are uh, it really led to an increase working together for the index, but also uh, over the years, the other groups on Long Island, um, including one that was set up by uh, the governor as far as releasing government uh, state grants uh, Long Island, I think, was the top winner of state uh, money. And more recently, uh, Suffolk County's Brookhaven National Laboratory won the new National Atomic Collider Project. And we were at um, a meeting in the beginning of the year hosted by the business community. And what people talked about over and over again is how the region worked together impressively. And our tagline had always been working together in new ways, which meant working together was sort of a new way of doing things. But, uh, but, you know, it was remarkable, it's been remarkable that, uh, this region where everyone fought one another really, we weren't the only ones doing this, but really, uh, moved in a, you know, in a positive direction. And, and just finally, I'd say one thing, a very concrete project that foundations certainly could do and nonprofits could uh, try to make it happen, too, is to have a learning trip. And this was something that I mentioned before. Uh, it was actually something Susan Beresford, who, who was the president of Ford Foundation, advised us to do. She said, if you want to take on a regional project like this, Go look at other places that have done this and invite people from different sectors. So we invited, well, the Community Foundation worked on it with, together with us. We had business people. We had an environmentalist. We had, a I think, a laborer um, member. And we t- went on this trip for two or three days to Ma- Madison, Wisconsin. And uh, the discussions across sector discussions began immediately. Bonding took place. And... Those, those relationships were among the very first building blocks for the entire index
0: effort. Very, very interesting. Well, I think this is going to be helpful for my listeners who, again, uh, are wanting to do more government projects or there's just some major issue in their community that really requires government and nonprofits and the for-profit sector to come together you know, to solve the issue. So I'm curious. You're doing a lot of good work. Um, what is the next big project you're looking into?
2: Oh, we' will answer that one. <laughs> so, you know, the, our, 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 the, the, I'd say the most important lesson we learned from our success with Third Track is that to, to, to address a regional problem regionally, you need to be able to identify a problem that affects everybody, you know, where everybody's got a stake in it. This way you can draw in vast support, as we did with Third Track. And uh, a similar challenge on Long Island exists in the form of water supply, Uh, Long Island gets all of its drinking water from an underground aquifer that underlays the entire island, but the the use of that aquifer is as fragmented as the rest of uh, service service provision on Long Island is. There uh, are a whole host of small water companies, uh, wastewater disposal systems, and uh, there's no coordination of how the aquifer is managed, how it's tapped, and how it's protected. And so this offers another unusual opportunity to address a problem that everybody has a stake in, and uh, that's what we're going to be tackling next is how to how to ensure that the water supply on Long Island remains clean and uh, substantial and available for future generations.
0: You're obviously making a big impact. I loved reading the articles about this um, most recent project, and it'll be exciting to see what you have next. So, if people are listening to this podcast and they want to find out more about you, the Rausch Foundation, or this project, where would you send them?
1: Uh, We'd send them to uh, www.rauch, R A U C H Foundation, um, all together, no spaces, dot org.
2: And where you can also find the uh, the case study is published online at that website. So anybody that's interested in the thir- third track case study can access it there.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that. Go ahead, Nancy. Any last thoughts? Yeah,
2: I just wanted to say one interesting um,
1: result. We When we stopped publishing the index, which was uh, 2018, we actually had an, um, a contest. We wanted to see if someone else could would take it over and – have a new a new version of it. Uh, it, and what happened? The best proposal came from the local newspaper, Newsday, and they are they have a new um, project. It's called uh, it's all lowercase uh, nextli no just no space uh, dot org, and it's at, it's at dot, is it at Newsday? It's at Newsday, but they're taking over the newspaper, is running this um, as a nonprofit. Project for a few years to get started, and then trying to incorporate it into the newspaper itself. So the jury's out on that one, but it's very interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: For my listeners, I think you're gonna find this project really interesting. I read through the third track project in preparation for the podcast and it's fascinating. I mean, there's a lot of details, but it's really interesting. And and one of the things you know we've talked about many times are there there's so many big issues that we're trying to tackle as a society in and, and our various communities and cities. And I love it when the nonprofit sector can get together with the government sector again and, and for private or private companies, we all come together to achieve a really big result. And you're doing that. I mean, again, this is a huge project, $2.6 million project, and you're being successful with it. Um, So thanks for what you're doing. And I do encourage my listeners to check out their website and their project. It's well worth your time. So Nancy and Dave, thanks again for being on the show today.
1: Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Rob. It's been fun.